Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What does your morning sound like? Goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? Mmm. Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's. Mix and match two of your favorites for just $4. The sausage McMuffin with egg and the sausage egg and cheese McGriddles. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. better than this it's guys being dudes here on the draft dudes podcast welcome to another wednesday episode of the draft dudes i am kyle Krabs, director of scouting and ndt scouting nfl and nfl draft analyst for fan rag sports and i am joined by joe marino also of ndt scouting and fan rag sports we are the draft dudes and we're going to try something new here today on the show we are going to get into some technical x's and o's we're going to try and have a little educational back and forth in terms of uh, traits about a specific position group and and players at that position. This is something that I had kind of dipped my toe in the pool with about with with wide receivers and the uh, stereotypes of the X and Z and slot receivers and the traits that you need for each of those receivers uh, specifically. It was about a month ago, and we seem to have a good response rate to that. So as we push into the season, Joe and I thought it might be a good idea to 
talk about some of these things that we casually reference as people that are very familiar with football, very familiar with draft evaluation, and help you, the listeners, kind of gain an appreciation and an understanding of some of the deeper-rooted meanings behind the words that we use. So, Joe, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to today's show. Uh, how you doing today? Good, Kyle. I am doing very good. I am excited about getting into some of these traits uh, discussions with you, but I want to introduce something new on the show today Uh-oh. that you are completely unaware of. Yeah, this is, this and, is not good. <laughs> this is good. This is good. This is as good as my Frank Ragnow tweet from earlier today mm. that you criticized. Mm. All right. So we are 211 days away. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, September 27th, we are 211 days away from the 2018 NFL draft. So what I want to do is introduce a countdown as often as we can on the show where I, we talk about how many days there are until the NFL draft and find a statistic or number that's relevant uh, in regarding football with that. So I have one for today. We are 211 days away from the 2018 NFL draft. And on Jay Cutler's next touchdown pass, it will be his 211th touchdown pass, which will put him at 33rd all time. So there is your fun fact of the day that, uh, has to do with the number of days left until the 2018 NFL Draft. How'd I do, Kyle? Well, I appreciate the nugget, but I do have to say uh, that number's depressing for me because (laughs) I think about how many reports I have to write between now and 211 days from now, which is actually less than that. Since we have a window, (laughs) uh, I try and get my reports done by April 1st every year. So now I'm sitting here knowing I have approximately 190 days to write 300 draft reports, and now I'm just depressed. Well, I'm a little me stressed and my, out. Me and the administrative staff uh, have been uh, working hard on on, te- on templating. Oh, good. And uh, I'm excited. I'm going to be ready. Uh, and uh, hey, we're going to get this done. We're going to keep grinding. I thought you'd be depressed more about it being a Jay Cutler reference coming off the uh, the amazing performance against the Jets on Sunday. So we're going to go ahead and move on. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about. Uh, Pass rushers today, Joe. We're going to talk about pass rushers. Jets had a couple pass rushers on Sunday. Um, But we're specifically going to talk about the art of the pass rush here on today's show. Uh, Joe, we've each come up with a group of individual traits that impact a player's ability to rush the passer. And what we want to do is we want to take each of these individual traits, discuss what it is, how we look for it, why it's relevant, and you know maybe a couple of examples of players that do and don't do these things very well. So I'm going to give you the floor. No more Dolphins references from this past weekend. Okay. We're going to talk strictly pass rushers. And I want you so, to tell me the first thing that you look for in a pass rusher. Oh, first thing that I look for. Man, I was going to talk about the first trait that we were going to get into. Um, yeah, I guess the, to kind of get into this, I mean, the first thing that I look for is, man, how, how quick these guys get off the ball and what type of juice they have. And if they don't have juice, what type of power and technique do they have? So that's a very that's a very broad answer. Win? We're going to get yeah, into this. Where does he win? Yeah, wh- how, yeah, how does he win and, and does the way he win translate to the NFL? So I think it is identifying what type of pass rusher I'm watching here. You know, you look you look throughout the gamut of pass rushers, you think about a guy like Von Miller, a guy like JJ Watt, a guy like Calais Campbell, uh guy like uh Justin Houston. Those guys are all really different. 
And yeah. it's all okay. There's there's multiple ways to get to the quarterback. So I think it's really important right off the bat to not say, you know, this is my favorite style of pass rusher. And if they don't do it this way, that they can't do it at the NFL. So I think the first thing that I'm trying to do when I'm watching a pass rusher is figure out what kind of pass rush they are and then center the rest of my, my thought process, my evaluation around how they win. I think that's a great answer because it it's every position, like people have like, either an archetype that they want to see fit the mold or they have like a favorite style of running back. They will, they want a speed back or a power back. They want you know a power forward style receiving tight end, or they want a speed rusher that can you know corner with quickness off the edge or a ball hawking safety. Like there's a number of different roles that any player at any position can really fill. So I think it's really important, Joe, that you mention that, just because a player doesn't win in the manner in which you ideally want to see a player at that position perform does not mean that their their uh, value is not present as a prospect. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's true across all the positions. Think about a guy like Tariq Cohen, right? And then think, think about a guy like Leonard Fournette. I mean, we're talking... 70 pounds between Polar the guys, yep. <laughs> but, but they still they can still get it done. So yes, it is important to uh, know what we are dealing with before we start critiquing them. So uh, that's, that's, that's how I start my evaluation, Kyle. And I guess I, if you, I'll take the floor here Please and I'll get do. into the first straight. Absolutely. Yeah. So no particular order here. I think we'll try to build off of, you know, what, what each other says here, but I, I want to start by talking about utilizing length and, um, Length is a really important component of being a good pass rusher. You don't have to have it, but it sure does help. Look at a guy like Carl Lawson. He's not super long, but we saw him have three and a half sacks on Sunday. So it's not a requirement. You can win without it, but if you have it, it is lethal if you know how to use it. And so, you know, some of some of the things that I think about with length is first of all, think about the matchups of human beings. You know, some of these pass rushers are 250, 260 maybe even into the 240s, they're going up against offensive linemen that are 300 plus, you know, up to 340 pounds. You're not going to beat these guys by going toe-to-toe with them and attacking an entire body and going body-to-body with guys that are this big that can move like that. So when you have that element of length, you have set yourself up to keep that separation from that blocker and attack half a man and try to soften rush angles to be able to get to the quarterback. Now, when I think about using length, obviously, you know, you, it, the, the, the basic concept is keeping that separation so that you can execute your pass rush move. Now, you'll hear me say maybe sometimes on Twitter or things that I say that sometimes one arm is longer than two, right? So that's that shot put technique where you're able to shoot one arm to, to even further accentuate the length and to develop a counter off of that. So what the length component of being a good pass rusher does is allows you to keep separation and set up that entire repertoire of moves based on, you know, if you use the shot put technique or if you, if you use a hand swipe to keep hands off of you and then keep further separation by extending your arm or or all the different things that you can do with your, with your length. It's an important piece of it and players that have it and know how to use it have an advantage. And so the ups, the other side of that is, okay, players that don't have the, you know, the 33 plus inch arms or, you know, what do they do? Can they, can they compensate 
for a lack of length in other ways can they rush with great leverage and reduce their surface area by you know getting skinny through a hole or just be quicker off the off the uh, the, the ball and, and challenging landmarks and just being so quick that you don't really have to rely on length to keep separation from blockers so big part of pat rushing the passer guys that can that have it and use it lethal guys that don't have it how do they overcome it but length is a big part of rushing the passer. Sure. So uh, I think of length rushers. Like Alden Smith is a good example of a lengthy yes. rusher. Uh, Randy Gregory, when he was you know, eligible to play, was another great example of a length rusher. These guys that have uh, a single arm that if they want to attack and put it inside the center of the chest so that they're, A, winning at first contact, they're establishing a strike first, you know, it doesn't matter whether you are blocking or attacking as a rusher. He who strikes first gives themselves a great opportunity to win the rep. So having yes. that length is a great opportunity to do so, especially, Joe, as you had mentioned, one arm is longer than two. If you can establish that strike with your inside hand, now you've freed up, you, A, you've established control of the blocker, and B, now you still have your outside arm if you want a club or rip or do anything that involves swiping those hands away from your chest. And now you can transition out of that with either a shallow swim move over the top to push the hands and arms away, or you can rip underneath of that if you have lean and tilt, which we're going to talk in just a little bit. So that, for me, is the big thing with length is, you know, if they have it, do you have an awareness to utilize that to the best of your ability to win rushes early on. The, th- the first thing I want to talk about is secondary counters. So this kind of parlays off of the, uh, length rushers, guys that have the ability to establish contact early and c- establish control of the blocker early on. A lot of times they won't need a secondary counter because these are guys that make offensive tackles miss early on in their rush. But... Let's say, for example, an offensive tackle does get a clean pass set on you, and he's able to frame you as a pass rusher. He's able to keep his hips and shoulders square, and his back is directly to the quarterback. And you've pressed up the field, and now you have an inside avenue, you have an outside avenue, and you have the opportunity to try to go directly through that blocker and collapse the pocket. Do you have the ability to, once you have found yourself in a disadvantageous position after your initial release off the line of scrimmage, what ways do you have to win and counter a strong pass set? Do you have short area quickness to slide back inside and try and take a more direct angle? Do you have the power, speed-to-power conversion ability to collapse and force that offensive tackle to fall back as he's engaged with you into the lap of the the quarterback? Or do you have strong hands? And this is where somebody like T.J. Watt really stood out to me this this year. You know, once the offensive tackle has established his hands, he's thrown his hands, what are you able to do? Do you hit that push-pull? A push-pull, where I refer to a push-pull, the inside hand will pull, and the outside hand will push, to force the offensive tackle shoulders to turn. And once he's turned, he's lost his natural strength and he's lost his leverage. From there, you can rip your inside arm underneath 
of that positioning and clear the hands and work your hips around the outside. Uh, do you have an arm over attack? So once you've established that your hands are fit, can you bring your inside hand over top of both of the offensive tackles arms and sweep his hands clear of your chest? It's all about getting hands off. So that's why length, which Joe just talked about is so important. And that's why secondary counters are so important. If you're going to implement outside pass rush counters after an initial strike, because if you are unable to clear hands off of your chest, you are defeated as a pass rusher. Kyle, safe to say TJ Watt is probably one of the best examples of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. From, from his, his ability, you look back through, especially the last three or four games that they played Wisconsin uh, throughout the end of last year, he frequently would press hard up the field. He would force an offensive tackle to quicken his set a little bit, Mm -hmm. but Watt, he once he would attack a punch by shooting his hands, getting an established set, and then using his hands to manipulate the body position of the tackle before then working his hips around and ducking his inside shoulder to tightly turn that corner and work around the body of the offensive tackle in a very short amount of space. And that's, that was one with hands. That was not one as a traditional speed rusher dropping the inside shoulder. It's using the hands to manipulate a body and then shedding the offensive tackle. Next trait that I want to talk about is flexibility. And I'll focus this mostly around the ankles, but it's, you know, uh, Pass rushers that have flexibility in their ankles, their hips, both, you know, that's really where they get lethal. But when when you talk about edge rushers, you know, we all love a good inside move uh, that's timed properly and doesn't give out that, give up the contain and, and that outside rush lane. You know, those are those are great. But most of the time, these edge rushers are winning around the edge. And, and we, you know, we, we talk about being able to run the arc. And uh, being able to corner the edge, and the ability to do that stems from the flexibility that you have in the ankles and in the hips to bend the edge track. And uh, you see some pass rushers where they rush the passer, and they're just continuing to get up the field and getting beyond the quarterback, which is bad because what you've done is you've created a lane for uh, the quarterback to step up, scramble, pick up extra yards. Uh, once you're parallel with that quarterback, if you don't have a plan to work back underneath, you're out of position. You're not in your rush lane anymore. So flexibility throughout your ankles and your hips is what gives you that ability to work underneath that block and block and turn the corner. Now, um, you know, we talk about pass rushers that are stiff, guys that don't really have that corner ability. They have to be able to win in other ways. And I think some of the the, the follow-up traits that we're going to talk about We'll get into that, but you know, you think about a guy like Arden Key last year specifically. This is a guy that he had such loose ankles, loose hips to turn that corner. He was lengthful. Think about a guy like Bruce Smith, right? This is one of my favorite football players of all time. Maybe you guys never watch this guy play, but go on YouTube and watch Bruce Smith play. What he was able to do so well is he was able to bend almost almost at a 45-degree angle around that edge track, and it's hard to get the hands on him. He's able to turn, carry speed through a tight angle, work up back under, back under, back up underneath, and, and get to the quarterback. So, you know, when we talk about bend and flexibility and, and fluidity, particularly in the, in the lower half, 
That's what we mean by being able to corner that edge and, and not just continue to get washed up the field, but be able to work back up underneath and get to the quarterback. Yeah, and this was something, you know, we just talked about T.J. Watt. Watt uh, showed flashes of this, but he wasn't consistent with it. What I like to refer to when you're talking about ankle flexibility is the ability to get that outside foot to catch in the ground, right? Everybody's seen the pass rush where the rusher is down. He's got tilt in his torso. He's leaning into the tackle. And he's trying to work his feet out from underneath his hips so that he can tightly turn that corner. And where you see the guys with high ankle flexion that really flash this ability, they'll get a very pronounced angle from their hips down through their feet. Now, maybe even like a 60, Joe, you mentioned with the the Hall of Famer Bruce Smith. (laughs) Uh, he's getting so much tilt in his hips and legs that that angle from his thighs to the ground is close to 45 degrees. And then when that foot gets down to the ground, that foot is able to catch flat on the ground. He's able to get a lot of surface area of his foot on the turf so that when he takes his next step and he tries to apply force through the ground to play through that offensive tackles outside shoulder and outside hip, he's able to apply that force through the ground and work his hips around. So I hope everybody can kind of picture that. But if you can't go watch Bruce Smith, because it's a great (laughs) example, Cameron wake, you know, I got to throw another dolphin out here. Cameron wakes a great example of a traditional, exterior rusher that wins with just tremendous amounts of tilt and lean throughout the lower half. Right. Uh, you know, I want, I want to expand on something here too. It, it shows up in an outs in an inside move as well, because oh, you, yeah. you don't just come out of your stance and go inside. It's usually that hard jab step to the outside to force the offensive tackle to commit to the outside edge track and then working back across the face. But where that really generates from is that ability, like you said there to stick that outside foot in press off, and work back inside. So it's it's a inside and outside thing. It's it's more commonly talked about when winning around that the arc. But yeah, inside moves it's important as well. Absolutely right, Joe. Do you remember the the inside counter that Tano passing no hit at the Senior Bowl? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. And that was like the the eye popper for me for like an inside flexibility move right now join t-mobile and get an unlimited family plan with netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone tablet or tv plus buy one samsung galaxy s9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your netflix favorites on your new phones call 1-800-t-mobile or visit a store today unlimited data on their network video streams at 480p small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds if you cancel balances due. well-qualified customers full price 720 plus tax finance agreements required netflix for two screens terms apply with how big and long he was for him to really stick that outside foot in and cover such a vast amount of distance and do it with explosiveness coming back inside i thought that's a great example of what you just talked about the next thing i want to talk about is reactive quickness. You know, when we had we had Tim Williams on the draft dudes before the draft last year, and we asked him about how he approached the art of the pass rush. And I believe he phrased it as a race, correct? It was a race to get to that spot, that third step. Are you able to get hip to hip with your pass r- or with your offensive tackle, your pass blocker within your third step? 
So I'm looking, Joey, this was one of the first things that you said when I asked you, what do you look for in a pass rusher? And you said, I got to identify what kind of rusher he is. I got to look at his release off the line of scrimmage. That initial release, that first step, the amount of ground that a player is able to cover. And there's a couple different ways that you can look at this. You can look at somebody like Derek Barnett, who's not the most explosive athlete in the world. But Derek Barnett had some of the best snap anticipation I'd seen in an an edge rusher for the last five years. You look inside, Jonathan Bullard, a defensive tackle from University of Florida, uh, now with the Chicago Bears. When he, he was an extremely disruptive player, but you look at his athletic testing and you actually look at the amount of ground that he covers with his first step, it's not great. He just simply reacts to the snap and his reaction time is quicker than everybody else's. So that's one kind of release and ability to get off the ball. The other is that raw explosiveness. Somebody like uh, Tim Williams, uh, who who is absolutely positively selling out every single play that it's a passing down to get that spot before that offensive tackle. The sooner, whether it's through anticipation at the snap or first-step explosiveness, the sooner you are able to get hip-to-hip with your offensive tackle, the sooner you will force that offensive tackle to hinge and greet you. When, and when, when I say hinge, I mean if you think of the line of scrimmage, when an offensive tackle drops off the line of scrimmage, he is meant to do so at a very gradual angle to turn his back in towards the quarterback. So that way, ideally in his perfect world, he's at an even length with the quarterback by the time he gets his shoulders and he's open facing and addressing a pass rusher. But if you have a really explosive or a very well-timed snap release, you might be in your second step and that offensive tackle may say, oh shoot, I've got to go. So he's going to really open his hips to try and get square with you so that he can then try to continue to ride you past the target. But if you get that offensive tackle to turn his shoulders and get perpendicular to the line of scrimmage quickly in his pass set, you've now decreased naturally the angle that you now have to work through in order to get to the quarterback and get to your primary target. So that's why for me... Initial release, and it may be reaction time, it may be explosiveness. Explosiveness is much more sustainable in terms of continuing that trend at the next level than anticipation where everybody's going to be operating on a little bit higher mental level. Everybody's going to be a little bit better natural athlete at the NFL level in comparison to the college level. So I really want to see the first step explosiveness when I'm looking at a release because The more explosiveness you have, the more consistently that offensive tackle is going to turn sooner than he wants to, the more you can dictate that pass set to that offensive tackle, the smaller and less steep that angle is going to be for you to press through contact and get to the quarterback. Kyle, best first step you've ever seen. Go. Oh, man. Um, Can I say Cam Wake? (laughs) That's that's probably okay. I mean, he's he's got um, Von Miller. Yes. Probably is if I if I have to be completely transparent and honest with myself, <laughs> Von Miller's got uh, the Super Bowl a couple years ago, right? <laughs> uh, just a one man wrecking crew. He's he's got a tremendous burst off the line. 
Yeah. Hey, and you know, look, you could struggle like Mike Remmers and still get paid a lucrative contract extension when you hit the free agent market. So, um, how about Aaron Maben, right? Here's a Penn state guy for you. He's a horrible NFL football player. Never really materialized, but talk about first steps, man. That guy, that guy had it. So he's, he's notable. I know. I can't believe we're talking about Aaron Maben in this discussion, but, um, yeah, we're talking about all-time great pass rushes, and Joe Manning yeah. just to bring Aaron Maven into the conversation. Dude, nice. dude was able to get off the ball, but I, I said Von Miller. I was ready to go that angle, and then you thought for a second and, and got and took my stole my thunder with that. So, um, cool. Well, let's get into the next trait here. Um, I want to talk about rushing with tilt, and you know, I, I think we 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 love the guys that can win around the edge, right? And and really be able to corner and bend the edge track, but sometimes you got to be able to buzz inside that, that edge track. And one of the staples of like a Jim Schwartz defense is that wide nine technique where you're lining up way outside the offensive tackle and you can't attack the offensive tackle like that. What that's designed to do is to set up an angle for you to be able to work inside that, that edge track kind of almost at a 45 degree angle to the quarterback. And so, you know, guys that are able to do this and what I think it really comes down to is leverage and play strength guys that can come out low, get underneath the, the offensive tackles pads and still be able to buzz inside to cut off that angle. And and, and there's some speed to power conversion with that because you're coming from more distance. So your, your ability to generate speed converse, convert that into power to buzz inside and with leverage work inside that edge track is another component of, of rushing the passer that I've seen more and more prevalent. And, um, you know, obviously Jim Schwartz kind of made that famous, but I start thinking about players now when I watch them, you know, who, who could be those next wide nine type of type of pass rushers that win in those types of scenarios. And, um, I, I, I think guys, maybe like a guy like Carl Lawson is an example of somebody who I thought would have a lot of success in a role like that. So, um, you know, there's, there's multiple ways to get to the passer. And one of those is by being able to buzz inside that, that arc at a 45 degree angle to get under the, the offensive tackles pads and, and create that rush angle to get to the quarterback. Yeah. And, um, no, I think we've kind of, there's a lot of like gray area and overlap with some of these, right? Yep. So we talked about ankle and hip flexion and then tilt is obviously that, that there's a very prevalent, relationship there um there's one thing that we really haven't covered joe and this is going to be the last one that i want to talk about that i do think is relevant and that's having a plan as a pass rusher no the ability to play the game within the game if you come out every single time and you try and run the edge track you might win one out of ten but if you understand how your offensive tackle, or even interior offensive lineman, if you're talking about an interior rusher, a guy that can kick inside, outside, uh, if you understand how your blocker is going to attack and try to negate your primary strength, and this does have an overlap a little bit as far as secondary counters, something we've already talked about here on the show. Um, Not just having secondary counters, but understanding when to use them and not predetermining your pass rush. How many times do you see a guy, uh, I think Taco Charlton's a good example of this. You know, Taco, uh, he's getting dogged by Dallas fans 
for better or for worse. I don't think it's fair for, for anybody to be down on any draft picks uh, at this point in time because it's still very early for these players, and, and it's only fair uh, to give them time to acclimate to the new level of competition. But with that said, you saw this at times with Taco as well. Taco liked that spin move in college, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen that spin move from Taco. And uh, when it was implemented appropriately, it was extremely effective. But there were some times, and you even saw this in the preseason game with Charlton playing at the, co- or at the NFL level, where he would go to that spin move because he thought it was what was going to work. But you have to have a plan and an understanding And you need to have several layers to that plan as a pass rusher because you can say, okay, if he's going to short set me or if he's going to quick set me, I'm not going to have the opportunity to go inside. It's just there is not an angle there. I'm going to get washed into an interior blocker and I'm going to be negated from the play. If you're going to have a guy that's going to bail out hard and, and really protect the outside shoulder then you're going to have a much less consistent success rate trying to duck the inside shoulder and work around the outside. So having a plan and being flexible, you can have, okay, I'm going to go after him with speed. But if he bails out, then I want to duck back inside. I want to work back inside, and I want to hit a rip move inside and try and really tilt those shoulders and drop those hips and tilt like Joe talked about and I want to catch that inside foot, and I want to try and take a shorter pathway. I'm going to work hard up the field, and if he bails and that tackle gets his hips and shoulders turned around to greet me too soon, then I'm going to spin inside, and I'm going to slam that inside arm up against his shoulder on the inside to make sure that he can't get his hands back on my body and clear, and I should have an unimpeded pathway to the quarterback. Just understanding that, it's it's fine and dandy to have a move and want to hit a move. But the other guy's playing the game too. So you need to be able to react and react with quickness and see in live action, what is he doing to negate me? What do I now need to do and implement it come back? And I think that's a really underrated piece of the game because so much of the time, Joe, we talk about traits. We talk about first step explosiveness and flexibility. But if you don't know or see when it's relevant to use what pieces of that, then a lot of times you're going to be very hit or miss. Look at somebody like uh, Jadavion Clowney, right? Jadavion Clowney was all world talent as far as natural abilities and the, the athleticism profile that he brings to the table. And he's only now just really starting to get around to being an effective pass rusher. Some of that's due to the fact that he's battled injuries, but some of that was because at the college level, he was just so damn good in comparison to anybody that he tried to line up across that he would just win with his first step immediately. So when he gets to the NFL level, and now he's faced with guys that have the strength to be able to drop the hips and anchor on him, or they have the quickness to get out of their set and get their hands on him early, it takes him a while to figure out what exactly to do to win in those instances. So I do think the game within the game and having layered plans as a pass rusher and multiple avenues and then being able to process that information in a very short amount of time during a live rep is one of the most underrated pieces of pass rushing. 
Kyle, before we close, I want to talk a little bit more about these spin moves uh, because, man, they are beautiful when they work. When they work. <laughs> but the only thing worse than a bad inside rush is a is a poorly timed spin move. So be careful when you fall in love with guys that win with spin moves. Think about a guy like Coney Ely. Like, that was his thing, right? But at the NFL level, if it's not set up properly, if it's not done with – with the right technique and being able to force that elbow back inside to, to push you off and, and finish the spin and being able to set up the, the angle to do it. And spin moves are, are so hit or hit or miss. So I'm, I'm awfully cautious when I see a guy just kind of always going back to that being their go-to move, because it's, it's really not all that effective if not properly done and with good timing without through, without the, you know, throughout the chess piece of the one-on-one battle. So the best spin move is obviously Dwight Freeney, right? Yes. Like yeah. if you want to see the textbook spin move, Dwight did it. And the other important thing with a spin is you can't spin in place. Like the whole point of spinning is you're starting in one place and finishing on the other side of the body. You'll see some guys, they'll hit a spin move, but they don't go anywhere. It's like, okay, cool. We're just going to pirouette here and waste time. That's fine. I'll play patty cake with you all day long. So if you're rushing an outside rush and he oversets you and he overcommits, opens his shoulders and hips, like I talked about, gets perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, then you have to work your body with your spin move. You have to firmly plant that foot in the ground. Work your face and shoulders across the body to now get yourself actively into the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. And as we've both mentioned, utilize that elbow and you want to take that elbow and put it right on the outside of the shoulder pad of that tackle. Because when you clear with that elbow, it is physically impossible for that tackle to get his hands anywhere other than directly square on your back. And that elbow is the most important thing to finishing a spin move, but make sure you also cover ground in your spin. Don't just spin in place. Cal, big weekend ahead for NDT scouting. Oh, boy. Oh, man. We are going to preview that for everyone on Friday. Uh, But uh, between the two of us, we are going to see six of the 14 ACC teams. That is 43% of the teams in the ACC. Kyle and I will have live eyes on this weekend. So uh, we are really excited about our, our road trips for the weekend. So make sure that you tune in on Friday to hear us break that down and get you ready for the weekend ahead in college football. The best way to make sure you don't miss that or any of our shows is to hit that subscribe button. There are tons of great ways to listen to the Draft Dudes podcast. Whatever one you use, hit the subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. And if you like what we're doing, share the podcast. Tell a friend, man. We are trying to build one hell of a podcast. We want to be educational with stuff that we did today. Obviously talking about the, the NFL draft, that's what we do, and, and the players. And if you want to be ready for that you know, next April, you know, keep it tuned in right here. So we'd appreciate any love that you send our way in terms of a share or tell a friend or, uh, to get this thing uh, some, some more publicity. It's going great. We're surprised. We're, we're blessed to have the amount of listeners that we have, but man, uh, you know, if you like it, tell someone else, tell someone else about it. Uh, make sure that you're keeping up with us on Twitter. Kyle is at NDT scouting. I am at the Joe Marino. We are, uh, pumping out content like crazy. So, uh, the best way to stay uh, up to date with all of that is to follow us on Twitter. We will be back again for you on Friday and I'm going to sign off now for Kyle Krabs. This is Joe Marino. And thanks for listening to the draft dudes podcast. What does your morning sound like? Goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. 
Welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? Mmm. Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's. Mix and match two of your favorites for just $4. The sausage McMuffin with egg and the sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.